Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the numbers of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome back again to Nehemiah. Uh, before we turn that uh, handout over and, uh, and start back in, uh, it is good and right as we sing that we see the attributes of God in these words. So if you, if you don't spend time sort of just intentionally thinking about what you're singing, this is a great song to do it uh, by. The power of God, the wisdom of God, um, the goodness of God, His creation, creating hand, the, that His wonders are displayed wherever we look. Um, that not, there's not a single plant or flower below that doesn't make His glory known. Um, that uh, we borrow life from God and everything is in His care. And everywhere that we can be, our God, thou art present there. God is everywhere. So we, we talk about doing this in the Word. We look for the attributes of God. What, what are you showing me about yourself? We should see this in our songs as well. And so just uh, keep your radar up as we, as we sing, as we hear the Word proclaimed. In my uh, former church in South Dakota, actually one of the uh, elders there had his own little personal rule that if a, if a song didn't proclaim at least three attributes of God, it, it didn't make the cut for him. So <laughs> that was a, an interesting situation. But anyway, on we go to, uh, to Nehemiah. We made a valiant but really failing effort to get through chapters 8, 9, and 10 last week. Um, didn't even come close. Didn't even hit the bar, let alone get over the bar. <clears throat> so uh, today we try uh, chapters 10 through 12. Uh, so just a, as, we, as we come up to that, just a, a quick recap of, of chapters 8 and 9 in Nehemiah. Uh, because 8, 9, and 10 sort of glue themselves together as we see the progression of the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. So chapter 8, the people gathered together in the seventh month, as had been commanded in Deuteronomy 31. Uh, we see the proclamation of the Word. This is where Ezra stood um, for half the day, 
reading the Word of God as the people stood and listened. And, and they, the Levites then also gave the sense of the Word to the people, helped them understand. So maybe some translation work, some interpretation. But, so not just the proclamation of the Word, but the interpretation given to them. Um, the people mourned over what they heard because it exposed their sin. They were called then, though, to rejoice because um, though they were sinful and had fallen short of God's law, uh, God remained faithful to them. Um, so as an application of God's word, in, in late in, in chapter 8, we see them celebrating the Feast of Booths with great rejoicing, reminding themselves of God's faithfulness. Chapter 9, then, the people are back together in repentance, confession, and uh, as I had mentioned last week, one of the commentators I read uh, talked about this uh, verses 6 through 37 in chapter 9 as really being the, the most complete theological summary of the Old Testament in the Old Testament, where where the people are proclaiming to God, you have created and you have saved. They, they go creation and Abraham and Egypt and the desert and the land of Canaan and then God's com continuing faithfulness in the, the face of their unfaithfulness. Um, and it's a grand and glorious section of Scripture. Um, if you weren't here or if you, even if you were, you'll benefit by putting a little sticky note in Nehemiah 9 and going back there from time to time to see the proclamation of God's faithfulness. And as we come to the end of chapter 9, let's look at verse 38, because uh, that's where we start. This is still the people and them continuing to, to speak forth to God. And they say, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents, on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And so that brings us into chapter 10, because uh, that's that's the the take home now of what what these these folks have done. They have proclaimed the goodness, the faithfulness of God, and now they are signing their names to a document that essentially is just their their affirmation of their desire to keep the covenant. Um, <clears throat> so chapter 10 gives us first a, uh, a list of names uh, from verse 1 all the way through verse 27 um, of folks, leaders of the people who had signed this document. We see the, the governor, uh, Nehemiah, in verse 1. Uh, we see from 2 down through 8, the priests. From, from 9 down to 13, the Levites. From 14 on through 27, the, the, the word in the ESV is called the chiefs of the people. Other places called the princes. Well, just, uh, just uh, in chapter 9, verse 38, they were called the princes. But really, these are the nobles of the people that, uh, that we have... We have seen them before. We'll see them again. Um, but just, just hang on to that thought. We'll talk more about them in just a bit, these, these nobles. Um, let's talk about them now. 
remember back in chapter 3, as the, the wall was being built, there were nobles of the province of Tekoa who refused to help. They wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, put that burden on their, on their back to, to lift a stone or to carry anything. Then remember back in chapter 6, uh, late in that chapter, the nobles of Judah were conspiring with Tobiah, sending letters back and forth and undermining Nehemiah. Uh, remember as well that um, Nehemiah was chewing out the nobles for their, um, their acts of, of putting the burden of debt and mortgage on the other people. So it is, it is an interesting thing now to see uh, that there are a bunch of nobles who are signing this document as well. We'll, we'll, we'll see it a bit more as we see the details, but just, just sort of keep gluing those things together. The point here is the power of God's Word in the lives of people um, to, to bring about repentance, of course, by, by the Spirit. All right. So at the end of that list, chapter 10, uh, verse 28 and 29, let's read those. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. So this is their big summary statement that, that the people have now committed to join with their leaders to, to do this thing. They've, they have committed, uh, having separated themselves, we saw that back in chapter 9, verse 2, that, that several of the people separated themselves from the, the peoples of the land, who, who, the people who were outside the covenant of God. Um, and they have committed themselves now to join with their nobles, their leaders, to walk in God's law, to observe the commandments. So we get to, after that, that overall statement, we get now to very specific portions of what they have agreed to do. Verse 30, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. So this is, uh, this, we, have, we have seen this over and over again throughout uh, the Old Testament. And the folks, again, are, are um, committing to this. <clears throat> Verse 31, And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So here again, um, this, this, this again should just raise just a little, little flag. Remember those nobles who, who Nehemiah had rebuked for the very thing that they were not releasing people from their debts at the end of this seventh year. Now, now there is an explicit commitment being made here. 
Uh, and again, it just, it just points back to what, what God's Word is doing in people's lives. So we have, uh, right, marriage. Uh, no marriage is outside the covenant people of God. Uh, observance of Sabbath days and years, holy days, the release from debt at the seventh year. <clears throat> and then the rest of the section, uh, really the, the, the remainder of the chapter, 32 through 39, uh, all sort of come under the, the uh, canopy of supporting uh, a wide range of the temple service things. So verse 32 uh, we see a commitment to give yearly a certain amount for the service in the household of God. Verse 34, a commitment to, uh, for what's called the wood offering and to bring that into the house of God. Verse 35, to bring first fruits uh, into the house of God. Near the end of verse 37, it speaks of bringing to the Levites, the tithes from our ground. And so, so there's this whole category of, of uh, supporting the temple service, the, 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 uh, everything that had, had already been instructed, but, but just wasn't, wasn't being done. And it gets summed up at the end of chapter 10 quite nicely with that final sentence, we will not neglect the house of our God. Um, now, um, not to jump too far ahead, but sadly we will see each one of these things, marriage, Sabbath observance, temple service, uh, being neglected and failing next week in Nehemiah 13. So that's a spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but... but uh, but here, at least right now, at this point, there is this commitment being made. Um, and, and it is, again, this, this, this set of chapters, 8 through 10, we see this movement of the proclamation of God's word and the interpretation of God's word moving into application and then change in people's lives or action. Um, and... And it's, it's just an overwhelming section to see. We'll see it continue in chapters 11 and 12 as well. Um, one of the things that you may have already seen, I, th I think that it, I'm not sure the, the source of this smack the Bible. Who knows what, what, I, what I just said, smack the Bible. All right, just a handful of folks over there. So, right, S-M-A-C. Right? It, 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 it runs parallel to what we've just talked about, the proclamation, interpretation, application, and, and change or action around God's Word. All right? So it's, it's an approach to, to understanding God's Word. So SMAC, S-M-A-C, what does the passage say? That's your S. Right? What does the passage mean? That's your M. Right? How does the passage apply to my life? That's your A. And then, how should my life change because of what I have just learned here? That's your C. So, um, I'm a simple guy and can only remember a handful of things in my brain. That I can remember uh, when I come to the Word to, to smack the Bible. What does it say? What does it mean? How do I apply this? And then, how does it change my life? Yeah.
All right. So that's where we're at with chapter 10. Um, chapter 11 is, is where we are next. And really this section of 11 and 12 <clears throat> um, is, continues primarily with a list of the leaders and the people uh, in uh, the community in the area, in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. Then in, late in chapter 12, we'll see the dedication ceremony of the wall. And then we will see uh, actually provision for the temple service that the folks had just committed to. So let's dive into this. Verses 1 through 3 of, of chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in, all, in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. And then on and on we go. Israel, the, the priests, the Levites, temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. So it's a, it's, this carries forth from, uh, I believe it was chapter 7. Remember, as soon as we came into chapter 7, Nehemiah said, well, the wall's done, but the city's empty. Um, no one's here uh, in the city. We, we have built these, this wall, and, and, and there's no homes, and there's no people. Uh, so this is a, a, really a program of repopulating the city. And uh, it turns out that it probably remained a dangerous place to live um, because they had to cast lots to, to get people to live in the city. And they, they rose up and blessed the people who volunteered to live in the city as well. In fact, look with me at, at how some of the people are described who are living in the city. Verse 8, all the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. I'm sorry, verse 6. If I said 8, I meant 6. Now, now I do mean verse 8. Um, and some brothers, men of valor, 928. Now verse 14, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. <clears throat> so, uh, from, from that, I take it that uh, it was, you know, frankly, there were folks that just didn't want to do this. I mean, there were some who were willing to do it, volunteered to do this, um, but, but it was a dangerous thing, and those who, who ended up in the city uh, were, were considered valiant people because it was a dangerous place to live. Um, <clears throat> so, this, this should at least cause you to pause and say, well, what, what's in the mind of somebody who says, okay, I'll, I'll live in the city. I don't want to, but it's, I know that it's the right thing for the people of God. All right. So um, think about yourself. I think about myself. What's driving my daily decisions? Is it, is it, just my own desires for my own life? Uh, how big is the circle of folks that, that really impact my decisions? Am I, am I making decisions 
knowing how they may or may not affect Joe and Jane or other brothers and sisters here. And uh, I know I come up wanting when I, when I give a serious analysis to my own life. And uh, so, as I've said before, um, whenever a conviction comes upon me as I'm preparing to teach, I feel like I have the right to share that with you. So I encourage you to, to, to lay on your own heart how is it, what, what is it that's driving your own decisions, right? Because this is a very practical thing. These folks just picked up and moved <clears throat> into a city that, that was uh, hardly populated at all. <clears throat> I'm not saying that we should all just pick up and move, but, but, but there are practical decisions, sacrifices that, that you may be called upon to make for uh, one another. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> a curious bit about this section is that there is, a, there is a, a parallel with this in 1 Chronicles 9. We won't go there, but 1 Chronicles begins with uh, genealogies of uh, David, of, of the tribes of Israel, and then it gives this section, right? And First Chronicles is, that's, that's back there in David and, and Saul land, hundreds of years before. Uh, but, it's, but this section is stuck there. It's just, a, it's just a curious thing about just how the Hebrew mind works thinking about history and connection of, of the ancient and the current. So, all right. So, in, in this section, then, that we have, primarily we see a list of descendants of Judah in verses 4 to 6. We see um, descendants of Benjamin in verses 7 through 9. And these are the two southern tribes uh, who, were, who were in this area to begin with. So, it's not a, not a surprise. Verse 17, then, I just want to draw your attention to this, because um, we'll come back to it in just a second. Verse 17, and Mattaniah, the son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Bakbukiah, the second among his brothers. So just, for now, just... Tuck those names, Mattaniah, Bakbukiah, away in your, in your mind. We'll come back to them. But uh, these guys are somehow connected with leader, being leaders of the praise and singers. It's, it's a growing theme in, in, in these chapters. And, uh, and we'll see more about them in a bit. <coughs> At the end of the chapter, we then have um, a reference to the daily provision for those singers, um, and uh, a curious mention of a gentleman named Pethahiah, the son of Meshezebel, of the sons of Zerah, the sons of Judah, who was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. That's verse 24. And uh, just a, a, a quick note on that, we're completely unclear whether that's a reference to the, the modern-day Persian king, or whether it's really a reference back to being, being at the hand of David, as it were, 
in keeping the traditions, the instructions of David for caring for the servants of the temple. And uh, just, we really don't know which of those it is, but you can make a very good case that what's being pointed out here is that as the temple service is being reinstituted and, and, and firmed up, that, that there are people here who are essentially at David's side, that is, that, that they, are, they are carrying out the instructions of King David from 600 plus years before in caring for the temple servants. All right. Verses 25 to 36 then uh, that give us the folks outside of Jerusalem. Uh, instead of a listing of, of people, we now have a, a bunch of listing of villages and towns. <clears throat> Again, Judah and Benjamin are, are mentioned in there. Um, Judah, verse 25, the people of Judah. Uh, Benjamin, the people of Benjamin in verse 31. And then in verse 36, uh, both certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. The end of verse 30 um, the second half of it, so they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom, um, is, is actually a pretty clear description of the original allotment of land to these tribes um, it, back in Joshua 15. So, it's, so it's, an, it's an interesting continuity all the way back to the days of Joshua when they first came into the land. Nehemiah is pointing out that things are being restored Things are being restored. God is faithful, and as his people are faithful, things are being restored. So, Nehemiah 11, uh, you know, is this list of people that, that uh, you know, they're hard to pronounce their names. We, they're obscure. We don't exactly know what to do with all that. But it's an interesting thing to see an entire chapter of this that it was important enough. <clears throat> so what do we do with that today? Um, it might seem trivial or mindless even to, to go through those things, but it strikes me that the land, the repopulation of the land, was, it was a key part of God's faithfulness to the people, part of God's covenant with his people. And so it's a reminder for us that we should always be on the lookout for uh, reminders of God's faithfulness to us in everyday things. All right. On we go to chapter 12 then. We read the first part of verse 1. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua. And so immediately we are, we are transported back 80 years again to the first wave of returning exiles. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 7, we have a list of priests. Verses 8 and 9 are Levites. And I just want to point out again in, in uh, the end of verse 8, look at, look at the names. Um, there is Mattaniah, who with his brothers was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving, and Bakubiah and Unai, and their brothers stood opposite them in the service. So, curious, 
that, that the exact same names, Mataniah and Bakubaya, are in this list of people from 80 years prior. It's highly unlikely that they are the exact same people, but it's the same names and the same roles. Uh, it's a curious thing to see. But again, God is, God is drawing our attention for some reason to these singers and the act of rejoicing and in song as we worship. <clears throat> Verses 10 and 11 uh, begin a, sort of a rundown of the high priestly lineage and the, the history there. Um, let me read verse, those verses. And Jeshua, now remember, he was the high priest at the time that the people, the first wave of exiles came to back to Jerusalem, back in Ezra chapter 3. Jeshua was the father of Joachim. Joachim, the father of Eliashib. Eliashib, the father of Joiada. Joiada, the father of Jonathan. And Jonathan, the father of Jadua. And so we have <clears throat> here for us really a quick history um, of uh, high priests all the way from the first wave of exiles actually to when Jadua uh, was the high priest. This was in the time of Alexander the Great, so it would have been several decades after Nehemiah ends. Um, and uh, Jadua is, uh, is, is the last high priest that we see listed in the Old Testament um, until we get begin the New Testament and we come to Annas. So, uh, so just, just another thing that you see, here's an end to a, to a line in the Old Testament. All right. In verses 12 through 21, it speaks of the days of Joachim. And I just want to point out in verse 16, you'll see these heads of the father's house. And, and it says in verse 16, of Ido, Zechariah. And they're like, ah, there's a name I know. And that, that, yes, that is that Zechariah, more than likely. At least it's the same name of Zechariah and his father. The Zechariah that we read about back in uh, Ezra chapter 5. Um, so we see that connection. Again, in verses 22 through 25, we have the rundown from Eliashib all the way down to Jadua. And then in verse 20, but in the middle of that, verse 24, I just want to draw your attention again to the second half of, of that verse where it says, uh, gives a list of the chiefs of the Levites, and it says, with their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. And then you'll see at the beginning of chapter or verse 25, those same two names, Mataniah and Bakubakubakubukaya, right? And, and so it's interesting that, that again, uh, God continues to just bring this to our attention. And what he's talking about is praise that is antiphonal. It's, it's two, two parts of a group that are singing or chanting one to another. And it's, and it's reminding, one group is reminding the other group of God's faithfulness and blessing and promises and then bouncing right back. And we sing some songs in that way. Uh, but this, you'll, see, you'll see this full blown here uh, in chapter 12 uh, later, well, very soon here when we get to the dedication of the wall. 
In fact, that's where we're going to go now. Verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Okay. So a handful of things worth, worth noting here. Um, suddenly, we have, we have now gone right back to this. It's sort of a first-person narrative of, of current day things. So we had that for a while and then all of a sudden we had it seemed like some chapters where the first person narrative has, has gone away but we're, we're back to that now. Um, we're sort of back in wall land, right? Okay, how, how, how does this relate to the wall? Um, and this bringing together of the Levites for this celebration I want, to, want you to see um, how the celebration uh, impacted the people, how they celebrated. They uh, came to celebrate the dedication with gladness, right? So gladness is talking about the heart, right? With thanksgivings and with singing. That's, notice carefully that that says not with thanksgiving, singular, but with thanksgivings. So that's something spoken, right? right? And with singing. So now with the mouth, right? I have gladness in my heart. I'm, I'm expressing thanksgivings and singing with my mouth. And with cymbals, harps, and lyres, right? This is with action, right? So, so the entire person, as it were, is involved in rejoicing, in worshiping God. The heart, the mouth, uh, the actions. It reminded me, actually, of uh, a great old hymn. I did far too much looking up and research on that last night. Uh, now thank we all our God. Remember that? Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. Right? Gladness. Right? Hands. Voices. Yeah. That is... Sadly, there's no reference in any hymnals that I found, any screenshots of the hymnal that point back to this verse. But here it is. We see, we see people celebrating and rejoicing, thanking God with heart, with their hands, with their voices. There's something for us to learn there. There's something for me to learn there um, about what, what, is it, what does it look like literally when I'm rejoicing, when I'm, when I'm praising God. Not as a show, right? I mean, we, we, we know that. That's not, that's not it. That's, Jesus put us, you know, squished that like a bug, right? That's, that's not the point. But our joy in Christ should be so all-encompassing that there should be no part of us that is excluded from rejoicing and celebrating as we worship. Yeah, just let that kind of soak in on you. And I'm the first one to hear that uh, over and over again. So, all right, so that's our, that's our big picture of the dedication of the wall, and now we see some of the details. Uh, go with me, verse 31, Nehemiah tells us that, then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall, 
By the way, this was the wall that Tobiah said that if a fox jumped up on it, it would fall over. Remember that? So, um, yeah, so that, that was not exactly the kind of wall they were building. Brought the leaders up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One choir went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah. Okay, so the gates and the, the, the things are not exactly clear, but we think that Nehemiah had all this group down at the south end of the city, which would have been the bottom end of the city. They got up on the wall, and half of them took really what would be the east side of the city to walk along the wall singing praises, and the other half kind of came around the west, and then they met up at the top. Um, that's The other one is in verse 38. Nope. Yes. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed, with, followed them with half of the people on the wall. And then we have this list of gates and walls and things like that. And, and so this picture of these choirs, they are literally encircling the entire city up on the wall. Um, singing, playing cymbals, blowing trumpets. This is their celebration. Again, uh, it's just showing us the details of what, what, is it, what did it look like at least that day to give thanks to God with heart and hands and voices. Um, as they came together, then uh, there were great uh, sacrifices um, made down in verse 43. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I don't know if you caught that, but this might be the most joy-filled, you know, literally, verse in the Bible. It's five times um, is there is the joy is listed there in, in that one verse. <clears throat> So, as we think about our own life, we don't have walls to dedicate, but we have events in our lives, right, where we recognize the goodness of God in our lives. Um, so I encourage you, I mean, as, as these choirs just sort of walked the perimeter of, of this city, I encourage you to, at least in your mind, just tra sort of traverse the timeline of your life. Remind yourself of what God has done. Uh, whether you're out there with a trumpet or a lyre or, or whatever, that's, that's, that's really up to you. But, but look for opportunities to give thanks to God. Remember His goodness. Remember the great things He has done. Yeah. All right. We'll wrap up the chapter here. Verses 44 to 47. I'm just going to read that entire section. On that day were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the town. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. 
and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Okay. So what, what we see here is just the, the, the logical conclusion of what had already been promised or, or covenanted back in chapter 9, that the people were going to provide for the, the temple service. Um, and, uh, and it's also just a natural follow-on to the repopulation of the, the city. And, uh, but before we leave that, again, we have this reference, ref, just, just incessant references to singers and, and uh, worship leaders, as it were. Um, and so it is, a, it is a curious thing. I just want to point out that Asaph, um, and then there's a couple other fellows. Uh, this, this is sort of homework for you. We won't turn there because we'd just get lost. We would spend hours there. But um, there were three uh, sons of Levi. I can't remember all their names right now. Gershon was one, and Merari actually was another one. Um, and there was a third one. Can't remember. But descendants, one of each of those, uh, got named in David's time. Asaph was one of them. Um, Heman, or Heman, if you'd like that, was another one. And Jeduthun was a third one. And these guys were specifically named, they are Levites, but they were specifically named to lead specific parts of the singing and worshiping and the praising of God. This is how important that the, the worship and rejoicing and praising of God is that singers were specifically named and, and, and these orders of, of song leaders within the Levites were, were named. It wasn't, it wasn't just a haphazard sort of thing. Um, that this was their job, this is their thing, right? Um, and so if, if you're interested in digging in around that some more, First Chronicles 6 and First Chronicles 25 are a couple places where you can go and just sort of see some of the backdrop of that. Um, so we have a few minutes, and so we are actually going to dive into the first three verses of, of uh, Nehemiah 13 because it attaches itself to Nehemiah 12 because it says on that day, right? So on that day, just like, just like Nehemiah 12:44 on that day, Nehemiah 13, verse 1, on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. 
As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Um, so the, the reference here that, that they had come across in the Word of God was from Deuteronomy 23. Uh, and uh, you can see, you know, read that narrative if you choose. But it's, this strikes me as sort of a capstone to this entire section that look at, look at how quickly uh, what had happened here. The people read from the book of the law about Ammonites and Moabites that they should, that they should not enter the assembly of God. And verse 3, as soon as the people heard the law, they took action. And this is what happens when you get into the habit of reading God's word and being open to asking God to see how you need to change your life in response to it. It, 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 it no longer becomes a three-week process or a three-month process or even a three-day process. I read something, and as soon as they had read it, they took action to obey. And that is, that is where we need to be brothers and sisters, that, that when we see something in God's Word, we know that our life is, is not in alignment with it, we obey. Yeah. That, uh, that we look for how it can impact our lives, how it should change our lives. Um, that brings us to uh, the end for today. Uh, we are once again without a mat and a, and a microphone, but uh, let's pray and, and uh, then we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you for these words. Even, even lists of names that we just can hardly pronounce because it reminds us of your faithfulness to your people. It reminds us of your faithfulness to us in, in everyday events. As we sort of traverse the wall of our lives, God, would we rejoice and give you thanks with gladness, with thanksgivings, with singings, with our actions. Would our joy be evident and sincere and complete? Would you fill us with joy? We thank you again. We pray, God, as we go into uh, worship together, God, would you give us hearts that hunger for you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You are dismissed.